Welcome to episode 249 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Fast, Feast, Repeat, a comprehensive guide to delay, don't deny, intermittent fasting. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, We're talking pounds of meat for free plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass fed and 100% grass finished. Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. ButcherBox.com slash IFPodcast with code IFPodcast. I will put all this information in the show notes. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons 
reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 249 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I'm doing fabulous. Cleanish is out. It's out and I can stop stressing about it and ah, it feels so good. How did it go? The launch and everything. It went fantastic. It went great. You know, I'm doing a book study in my community. More than anything else, obviously you care that you've written a book that people will like, but the most important people to me are the people that are in my community and, you know, the people going through the book study and so far I've gotten so much positive feedback from from the community. People are saying things like, wow, the part where you wrote about Will really opened my eyes, or like my daughter's the same way, or I understand so much more now, or, you know, like I thought I was making good choices and oh my goodness, now I'm realizing I'm not. And, <laughs> you know, and but people really, the, the one message I wanted to get across with, you know, the whole clean-ish, even the title of it was that perfection is not expected nor required and it's a process and that you're in charge at all times. And so the fact that that message is really seems to have come through is really important to me. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I think it's a very unique perspective, at least in regards to stuff that is typically published on this, you know, because normally when people are like putting something out there, it's because they're, I don't know, they're really wanting you to go really intense all in. So it's really nice. I think it's very approachable. Well, the thing is, is that you can't get rid of everything. I mean, you just can't, especially not all at once. And it's a process. Now, the me that is living right here in 2022, if I went back in time to the me from, you know, five years ago, I might be overwhelmed at how different my life is now, but I've gotten there over time. Oh my gosh, I had a reminder of why it matters so much. And it was yesterday. I rode to the upstate of South Carolina with my sister in her car. And I still have a headache. She had this, one of those air freshener things in there. Oh, my God. I got in. I was like, oh, I should have driven. Why am I riding in this car? And I was like, we got to put this in the back. But still, she had it in the air vent. And I thought putting it in the back might help. No. It made my head hurt. My sinuses still feel inflamed. I was in her car for probably a total of six hours. My sinuses are inflamed. My head's been hurting a little bit the whole time. I just don't do well with those fragrances. So now I understand why, right? But I was in there long enough that it did make a difference in my bucket. <laughs> yeah, every time I get in an Uber, 
that has some sort of smell, I'm like, oh my goodness, how was I doing this for so long? Now imagine you had to ride there for six hours, six hours in that Uber. It was it was too long. So I told her, I was like, I can't, I don't know how. She's like, I don't even smell it. And I'm like, I don't know how. I think it would change her life. But people are not always ready. My sister's not ready to hear that. So I handed her a copy of Cleanish before we even went. So, you know, I, I think that these changes, people don't realize. I mean, I feel it because I normally, you know, I don't have any of these kinds of things in my home. I used to. I used to have those. I don't even know if you're old enough to remember the Melanie, those Bath and Body Works plugins that you would plug in and they would. I did those in college. No, 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 not, not Bath and Body Works. I, it was Target plugins. They were from Target. Well, the Bath and Body Works ones were really popular in the late 90s. So <laughs> Febreze is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. And so I had one in my classroom. Okay. So I thought it just smelled so nice. And now I'm thinking, how much did that negatively affect the students in my classroom? I'm so sorry that I did it, but I didn't know. I didn't know any better. But the way I feel after riding in that car all this time, the way my head feels really, you know, drives home how much better I normally feel. And so, again, it's like if anybody just feels just not themselves and they're like, you know what? Or like they low level don't feel fabulous. If you've got a bunch of plug-in air freshener stuff, that makes more of a difference than you realize. Yeah. And there are, you know, alternatives, you know, like essential oils that might work for people. So, oh, and I want to say, listeners, I've not yet read Cleanish. I read the books based on the timeline of when people are coming on the show. So it's it's in the calendar. <laughs> it has to be read at a certain time. I'm very excited to read it, though. Well, I, I hope that you love it. But at the end of each chapter, there's like a part where people reflect and take action. And that's really, you know, the teacher in me coming out because, you know, it's taking stock of what you have and what little change could you make today without driving yourself crazy. Because that's really the key. I wasn't ready to hear everything five, 10 years ago, but every little step along the way, you know, lowers your, you know, what you're putting into your bucket, you know, because you're going to ride an Uber and smell it. And you don't need to like freak out and think you've ruined your health. But having it in your own car is a whole different thing where you're in there all the time. The dose over time does matter. I did think about this actually, because the last Uber I got in was very scented. And I was thinking that if I ever had to take a really long Uber somewhere, I would somehow clarify not to have. Because I think there's an option in Uber, the comfort option. I don't know if you can put in like a note, but I think I would I would make sure I got one without. I'm not sure, but. I think that should be an option. Well, I feel like it should, but I think it probably people don't understand it enough to know. I mean, I certainly didn't. I was putting them in my classroom and the children, like how many children did I, you know, make their allergy load worse or even affect their behavior? I mean, this is before I had kids. It was the 90s. It was before I had Will and you know, I stopped all of that once Will, you know, I knew that he reacted to those artificial smells dramatically. We hadn't used them since, but, you know, the fact that I've had a headache ever since is telling. And I started to feel queasy right away also. Will you still have a headache? A little bit. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, I really feel like it inflamed my sinuses. I sound like a big, you know, big whiny baby, but <laughs> it was very important. It just, it like reinforced like to me, like, yes, it really, really does make a difference. I mean, I knew it already, but you know, I didn't like whine to my sister the whole time. So I'm just whining here. I like kept my mouth shut the whole time. I, I said it one time to her and then I was like, okay, I'm just going to suck it up and I will always drive from now on. I mean, you probably talk about this in the book, but it's interesting how, you can be more or less sensitive at different times of your life based on if your own internal bucket is filled up or not. Like for me, I went through a period, especially when I had really intense mercury toxicity and everything like that. I could not even like step in the, um, you know, the the aisle in the grocery store that has all the cleaning products and all the things. Like I would feel sick if I stepped in that aisle. Yeah. I actually did talk about that. It's the whole, once your bucket is full, when you put more in it, that's when it overflows. But if your bucket is not full, so that's really the whole premise of Cleanish, is keeping your bucket level as low as you possibly can. Because you're going to get into an Uber or an elevator with someone who has on way too much cologne. You're going to have those experiences, and your body can handle it better if your bucket is lower. 
So that's that's the whole premise, but it's a lot more detailed than that. So <laughs> super excited. So for listeners, we'll put a link in the show notes to all the ways to get cleanish. Congratulations. It's very exciting. Yep. JenStevens.com slash cleanish is a really good place to go. Awesome. Can I share my story with listeners? <laughs> Please do. So listeners, you might already know this because you might have seen it on Instagram. But I got COVID, so that's been fun. I do have it right now. And what's interesting, though, and I again, I posted this on Instagram, but it hasn't been that bad for me. I think I probably got the Omicron variant because my symptoms match it, and that's been said to be not as bad as the original or the Delta. I woke up with a little bit of a headache, which I just don't get headaches. And I don't think I would have thought, I don't know, it didn't seem bad enough to be COVID. So I don't think I would have really thought it was COVID if my aura ring hadn't pointed out things. So I'm just looking, I posted this on my Instagram, but so the first day I had symptoms, you get a readiness score on your aura ring, which it includes your heart rate variability, your respiration, your sleep, your body temperature, your resting heart rate, a few other things. It goes up to 100. My score is usually in the 70s or 80s, occasionally 90s. So it was 60. And I'm just reading it right now. And it said, pay attention. It said, go easy. Both your body temperature and resting heart rate are elevated. How are you feeling? To help regain balance, give yourself time to recover today. And it actually said that my body temperature had gone up by 0.9 degrees, I think 0.9, even though I wasn't getting a fever on any thermometer, oh, 0.8 degrees, even though I wasn't getting a fever on any thermometer. So I was like, oh, well, that's pretty telling. And then the next day, the readiness score dropped from a 60 to a 36, which I have never seen. You were not ready. I know. And I still didn't feel that bad, but I was like, oh, there is something going on. So I, um, I went and got tested and I, I got a positive COVID test, two positive COVID tests because I wanted to double check. And then the next day I got a 28. <laughs> and then the next day it actually started turning around. So the next day I got a 58 and then a 67 and then an 82. And I'm back today, I think 81 again. This is the first time that I've, because I really haven't gotten sick, sick. And I mean, I don't really remember the last time. So this was the first time getting sick while having the aura ring. You basically can track the progression of your illness on the ring. Like it really does know. That's been very cool. But it's actually been really, really nice because I just, you know, you have to quarantine. And so I canceled all my appointments and it's kind of like vacation. Like I got to just work. I love working. And normally on vacation, you're not supposed to work, but this isn't real vacation. This is resting vacation. So I got to just like work on stuff. It's been a really nice week. Well, I'm glad you're feeling good. That's the most important thing, you know, that you haven't felt, you know, that it's it's been nice and mild. And I read something that talked about the the Omicron colonizing the nasal passages more so than getting into the lungs, which is actually a positive as far as like the severity of our symptoms. So that doesn't mean that people aren't going to get sick from Omicron, obviously, and have to be hospitalized or whatever, or that we shouldn't, you know, still be cognizant, but you sound a little nasally, like like you never have before. So it sounds like it right up there. It's in your your nasal passages, and your body's fighting it off like it's supposed to do. Yep, I'm really grateful. Like it's kind of nice. I felt very appreciative of my body during this. I'm like, go body, being able to see it. Yeah. So how about your sense of taste and smell? That's the most fascinating symptom for me. Yes. So ironically, even though yesterday was the first day that my aura ring was back to normal, that's when my taste went away, which I did Google it and apparently that's common. It goes away like a little bit later, but it was so interesting. So I was eating last night and I had no taste. I was really reflecting on how much of what we do is habitual because I noticed that I wanted to eat the exact same amount of food. I wanted to eat what I always eat, even though I couldn't even taste it. And I was like watching myself eating. It was really a mindful moment, especially because I'm interviewing tomorrow 
not in person. <laughs> oh yeah, obviously our interviews are not in person. Dr. Anna, I don't know how you say her last name. I, I should figure that out before tomorrow. Dr. Anna Limke, I think. She wrote a book called Dopamine Nation about addiction. I'm really excited to talk with her about you know the concept of addictive behavior, but I was reflecting on it while eating and I could see, I was like, oh, like we engage in these things that are pleasurable even when pleasure's not there anymore. Like I wasn't getting any pleasure from taste, zero, but I was still getting a lot of pleasure from the event of eating the same amount. Does that make sense? That's so interesting. Can you smell? No. Well, I hope it comes back quickly because that's, you know, a symptom that for some people sticks around a long time. And I know that that would be awful. I feel so bad for anyone who that sticks around for. I was Googling it last night and they released a study on people who had lost their taste and smell from it. And at one year, it was almost 100 people that they were following and everybody had regained it, except for I think two people. But yeah, most people had regained it sooner rather than later. That's good. I will answer one question, not medical advice. But I, people have just been asking a lot of questions on my Instagram. A lot of people have asked, did I keep fasting during it? I did because I, like, I wasn't feeling the need to eat <laughs> any. I wasn't feeling any different. I always continue to fast when I'm sick unless I feel like I need to eat. I mean, I really, really listen to my body. But the only time I really would feel like I needed to eat when I was sick is if I was nauseous and I felt like I needed food in my stomach to combat nausea. Other than that, I just continue to fast because I feel like that gives my body time to heal and repair. That's what I feel like. Like I said, I definitely ate the same amount of food, even though I wasn't, I don't know. It's been very, very interesting, the the eating experience of this. Eating the same amount, not even knowing if I was that hungry for the same amount and also not tasting it, but still, it, I don't know. It's very interesting. I did notice that despite not having any taste, it's like I could still sense in my body when I was getting nourished, even though I couldn't taste anything. I thought that was really cool. So for listeners, if you get COVID and you lose your sense of taste, it will be an interesting experiment to watch your relationship with food and yeah, that whole experience. It's been very interesting. Well, I'm glad that you're, you're feeling better and fingers crossed that the senses return soon. Hi friends, one of my favorite foods for gut health, skin, cravings, energy, and immunity is definitely bone broth. I and so many of my listeners love bone broth, but it can also be intimidating because it can be hard to find a bone broth that is all natural, organic, free of preservatives, and especially no salt added. Of course, you can always make your own, which I love, but that can be a little bit of a cumbersome process. That's why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty and the Broth. They make it so, so easy to bring bone broth into your life because they ship it in concentrated form in shelf-stable packets. It's easy to store, doesn't take up space. You don't have to worry about keeping it frozen. And then when you reconstitute it with water, you can customize it exactly to your tastes. It is incredible. Beauty and the Broth makes delicious bone broth from vegetarian-fed, free-range chicken bones and USDA organic, grass-fed, ranch-raised beef. The meat and bones come from certified humane and USDA organic farms, no antibiotics, no hormones. They also use organic vegetables and powerful herbs that are so delicious, all without any added salt or sodium. A lot of the broths on the market are also kettle or pressure cooked, which breaks down ingredient nutrients and reduces their integrity and potency. Beauty and the Broth doesn't do that. They let all of those amazing ingredients slowly simmer for up to 24 hours to create a broth that is super high in naturally occurring collagen and nutrients. Your gut will thank you, I promise. We often get questions about the best way to open your eating window. This is an incredible way to do that. Especially when you're in the fasted state, your gut is super ready to absorb these nutrients and bone broth contains the specific nutrients needed to heal your gut, help with leaky gut, support digestion, and so much more. And when it's cold in the winter months, what tastes better than a warm cup of bone broth? You will notice it in your nails, in your gut health, in your hair, in your improved recovery, increased energy. And did I mention it's so convenient and so easy to use. They've also got a vegan mushroom broth, which is super rich in umami and delicious for all of you vegans out there. And you can get 15% off site-wide 
Just go to melanieavalon.com slash broth and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 15% off site-wide. That's melanieavalon.com slash broth with the coupon code melanieavalon for 15% off site-wide. Friends, if you've been wanting to get on the bone broth train, this is the way to do it. Definitely check it out and we'll put all this information in the show notes. Shall we jump into everything for today? Yep, let's get started. All right, so to start things off, we have a question from Alexandra. And the subject is eating window. And Alexandra says, hi, Jen and Melanie. For reference, I am 31 years old and 5'5". I weigh 168 pounds and would like to get down to 140 or 135 pounds. I hope this email finds you well. One of my favorite things to do is cook a delicious dinner in a fasted state while listening to your podcast. I can truly say this podcast is one of my absolute favorites. It keeps me motivated and I am fully invested in the whole foods guy saga. I do have an update about that, Jen. So I'll report back. You have an update about it like you can share today? Yeah. Should I share it now? Share it right now. Okay. He's gone. (laughs) It's so sad. Like, do you know anything about it or just one day he wasn't there anymore? No, I, I know about it. I talked to him. He got an internship somewhere. So is no longer working there. So I gave him a copy of my book as a going away present. (laughs) Well, that's fun. Yeah. So sad face. But yes, I wish him the best wherever he is at his internship. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. Actually, though, I will say, so his internship, I doubt he'll be listening to this. So his internship is for engineering. So we had a really nice conversation about engineering. Oh, is he a Georgia Tech guy? No. Well, I don't know. Well, I mean, if he's been in Atlanta and he's an engineer, that's Georgia Tech. So anyway, I bet he is. I don't know. It's a good question. I would have asked if he was still at the store. I mean, because it's like the best engineering school in the United States and it's right there in Atlanta and he's got an engineering internship. So he's interning at a company. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's what they do. I don't think he's in school right now. Regardless, I got very excited because have I expressed to you what is one of my like ongoing fears slash concerns if I think about it? So I just don't think about it. I mean, I don't know what it is. So I don't know if you've expressed it. <laughs> tell me what it is and I'll tell you if you have. So I have an ongoing fear slash concern if I think about it about structure support. Oh, no, no, you've never shared that. In buildings. If I start thinking about like roofs or I'm in an apartment and there are apartment buildings above me, it really stresses me out. So I just don't think about it. I got so excited because I got to ask them all my questions about structural support of roofs. Like structure failure and... Yeah, because that's what he said he like wants to do. And I was like, oh my goodness, let me ask you questions. (laughs) Because I was like, how do buildings not just collapse? And how have there been buildings around for so long? And it just kind of bothers me. And he said, and then I had never thought about this, Jen. Have you ever thought about that there are buildings from like, you know, forever ago and they're still here? Did you know they've been checking them since they were built? That blew my mind. Like that doesn't surprise me, but I know I'll often see like, well, have a house here in the United States that's, you know, from like 1920 and you're like, man, that's old. And you're like, yeah, over there in like the UK, they're laughing at us with our old 1920s buildings because they're like, our our building's been here since 1407. But did you ever think about like, they probably ever since 1407 had like a building inspector come and check it. And it also makes me feel like everything is like fixable, right? You know, like there's no house that's beyond repair because the ones from 1407 are still around and they've just been able to keep them going. Yeah, that that just really blew my mind. So, I mean, I know there are buildings that are beyond repair, but my point being that, you know, if it's if it looks like you could probably fix it, I'm sure you can. Yeah. So, I walked away feeling a lot better about my fear I have. That was a tangent. Um, (laughs) In any case, back to Alexandra's question. She says, so my question, I have been doing IF on and off since 2019 because I was pregnant with my second baby and then breastfeeding, I had to take a solid break. Losing my baby weight after my second baby with IF compared to losing it after my first with IF has been different and the baby weight the second time around has been harder to lose. Just for reference, I really struggle when I am pregnant and I gain a good 60 plus pounds. 
I'm constantly hungry, nauseous, and basically just in survival mode. Survival mode sparked a memory for me. I'm going to circle back to that. She says, slowly but surely, I am losing the weight, maybe about 0.9 pounds a week or a bit less. Not kidding. It never averages out to one pound. But then depending on what's going on, I will have a week when I go up a bit or I don't lose any weight. As Jen always says, tweak it till it works. I've been doing just that, tweaking and tweaking away. And I discovered that if I close my window around six or seven with a nice dinner and maybe a snack to open my window, that my weight has really started to drop. What I am confused about is the amount I'm eating has really not changed. Before doing this, I would open my window with a nice homemade dinner and have some dark chocolate and crackers around 8.30 p.m. when I finally got my toddler in bed. What I can't figure out is why closing my window at 6 or 7 would make such a difference in my weight loss. I'm writing to you about it because I'm upset, haha, as I like to have my evening snack. Perhaps I will just need to do this as I am working to lose these last 25 or so pounds, but I was curious what your take would be on this matter. I just can't see how the time in which I eat, but not the volume, could make such a difference. Wishing you, oh, this must have been in Christmas because she wished us an amazing Christmas season. Allie. Oh, I've been calling her Alexandra, but her name. Well, that's what she, that's her official name. She goes by Allie. Well, Allie, that's a great question. And I'm going to 100% tell you one thing that is was true for my body. The baby weight the second time around was harder to lose. I don't know why, but it absolutely was. I don't know. There's so many changes that go on. But when I had Cal, like I still remember exactly how much I weighed. I remember being like 123 pounds when I found out I was pregnant with Cal. And then I got up to a high of 163. And then like I wore my same jeans till like five months into the pregnancy. And then I just had to do that rubber band trick where you like take a rubber band and you hook it around the button and then you like go through the little loop and then put it. They probably have better tools for that now. Like you can actually buy them, but I use the rubber band. That kept my jeans going for probably till six months in. And then I, I barely had to wear maternity clothes. It felt like for that one. Oh, and then I was back in my jeans, like I swear, a week after Cat was born. That's like one of those, my body bounced back, right? And I wasn't super young. You know, I was in my upper 20s at the time. And then with Will, you know, they're 18 months apart. It's like the minute the pregnancy test was positive, my abdomen went bloop. <laughs> and I was already in maternity clothes right away and wore them most of the time. And I got up into the, it was either high 180s, low 190s. Like I didn't even want to tell Chad how much I weighed at that point. And then after, after I had Will, I, you know, went, my body did not bounce right back. And I thought my body would, and it didn't. And I remember you know, like sitting around 163, and I'm like, that's where my body kind of settled in. And I was like, gosh, you know, that was my high weight when I was pregnant with Cal was 163. And here I am, I'm just weighing 163, and it's normal now. And it, it was hard. And that's when I went down the, the diet pill rabbit hole. That was right after that. And long story there. But the thing is that, for whatever reason, my body really had that same exact situation as you're describing. It was harder to lose the weight after baby two. Now, when we're getting into, you know, your weight finally starting to drop, there are two things that could be in mind here. One, your weight was just about to ready to be start to drop anyway, and it was a coincidence that it happened to be when you've shifted your window. That could be it. I don't know. Also, though, it might have to do just with like water weight. So I'm I'm not sure if you just like let's say there's two scenarios. Maybe your whether your weight suddenly had like a sudden drop and then it's kept going down at your same pace, or has the rate of weight loss increased? That would be what I would like to know. Because if you had been losing 0.9 a week, and then you switched your window, and then it had like a little whoosh, but the 0.9 a week from that whoosh has continued then the timing probably just meant that maybe you weren't re retaining as much water later on because it's, it's been longer since you ate. Like that could cause your weight to be lower, if that makes sense. The amount of time since you last ate because our bodies retain water to deal with the food. And like when you have more food in your system, you're retaining more water to manage it. And then when the food's working its way out, you drop the water. So if your rate of loss has actually increased and before it was 0.9 or less and now it's more, 
then it could just be your body was ready to do that. Or it could be that that really is a better window for your body for whatever the reason might be. So, you know, keep experimenting with it and see. Because theoretically, you're right that if all you've done is change the time, but it's the exact same amount, and it's not like you've changed it a ton. You know, closing it at 6 or 7 versus closing it at 8.30 doesn't seem like a giant difference, that it would, like, physiologically change, like, the workings of your body. Right, Melanie? What do you think about that? I have two concepts that might be going on, and one speaks to what you just said. So one, and and I should have timed this question differently because I haven't posted this blog post yet, but... I'm actually glad we're doing this because this is just going to force me to post it. I've been working on a blog post for months, months, I tell you, about really looking at what do the studies say about timing of eating and its effect on weight loss, particularly things like late night eating and stuff like that. But the takeaway, it's such an epic blog post. So I'm going to try to post it this week, actually. I'll make the link to it regardless. So even if it's not up when this comes out, but hopefully it will be, I'll make the link for it, melanieavalon.com slash eating timing. The takeaway from it was that there are a, a lot of hormones involved in us eating and us burning fat and not burning fat and just so many hormones. You know, there's insulin, there's ghrelin, there's leptin, there's norepinephrine, there's cortisol, there's so many hormones. And they're all on rhythms. And how we eat interacts with that, and it can affect our weight. The problem is that it's not black and white. Like people like to say, oh, if you eat, you know, after a certain time, it becomes fat, like for everybody all the time. And and that's just not what I saw, especially if you're doing things like intermittent fasting and you're only eating in a certain window. And the takeaway that I took from it is that we're all very individual. And some people, I do think some people eating at different times for a given person. So I'm not comparing between people. I'm comparing within the same person. I think for a given person, it is very possible that if they have a window at a certain time, they might lose or gain a different amount of weight than if they have a consistent window at a different time. I don't think it's standard between people, like I just said. So I don't think you can say, if this person eats at this time and this other person eats at this time, they're going to gain or lose the same amount of weight. I think it's individual. The reason I'm saying all that is that I actually do think that like with your individual biology, it might be that eating, even though Jen did point out that it's not that big of a difference when you're changing it, the timeline of those hormones is on a rhythm where I think it could be affected by something like this. You think an hour and a half would really make that much difference? I think it could. I'm not saying that it is, but if it's a consistent change and if it is working ever so slightly better for your body with all of those hormones, I think it could make a difference. I don't know if that's what's happening, but I think it could be. If that is what's happening, I don't think it's like we'd be able to point to, like I couldn't say you know, which hormones it is. I just think it could be a thing. Something that could also be a thing, so that was like option number one. Option number two is she says the only thing she's changing is the timing, but the situation that she gave us she's eating differently as well. She says that in her, when she closes at six or seven, she starts, maybe starts with a snack and has a nice dinner. I had that same thought, Melanie, that you're saying. Yeah. But when she closes at 8.30, she starts with a dinner and ends with a a snack. So, and she doesn't say, she says what the snack is on the 8.30, but not on the six or seven. Small nuances, but you actually might be eating more. It might be different. Yeah. I mean, that's what it sounds like. So it could be a combination of all that. It could be that you are a little bit better when you eat. By better, I mean hormonally, for whatever reason, you don't gain as much weight when the window is a little bit earlier. And then on top of that, maybe... Oh, and that's something else to point out. So it could be that hormonally, when you eat 
earlier, your hunger driving hormones. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the hormones that are like determining if you store fat or not. It could be the hormones regulating appetite. And it could be that when you eat a little bit earlier, you get fuller faster or you're not as hungry. Like little things could be different that are resulting in you actually eating less when you eat earlier. I do think with what is happening, if it's not water weight, like Jen said, which it could be that as well, but if it actually is, you know, different weight gain or loss, then I would guess what you're eating is actually changing, even though you think it's not like the amount of food. I wonder if like, like the question would be, has the rate increased like week to week? Like is if she was losing 0.3 a week and now she's losing 0.9 a week average, then the rate of weight loss has increased. But if she had a whoosh in there at some point, but the rate has stayed the same, then actually it hasn't made her lose weight faster, if that makes sense. Because sometimes we just have a whoosh. Like our weight will just drop a few pounds and then, but like overall your rate stays the same, like week to week. That's a question that would be interesting to know. But really, it doesn't matter. You just keep doing what feels like it's working. You know, use that data to test different things and see what happens. You know, it's a study of one. So maybe now try the old way that you felt like you liked a little bit better see what happens. If you have like a reverse whoosh, but the rate stays the same, you know, like if you put on like a few pounds, pop back up, but you then your rate is the same as it was, the rate of loss, then that really isn't like just like indicating more fat loss or less fat loss. It just your weight pops up a little bit and then your rate of loss stays the same. That would indicate it's more likely water weight is what I'm saying. No, that's a really, really great point. I will say when I was reading the studies for that blog post, Oh my goodness. It was, I read so many studies and they were so long. And it was really interesting because some of them, some of them were really, I mean, most of them were really in depth, but there was probably one or two where the researchers were so clearly approaching the subject matter with an agenda of finding the problems with like late night eating that they would like, point out cuz they it would have so much data on these different hormones at different times and they would they would point out things that would be in complete like contradiction to other data in the study but only when it was like supporting their thesis and it it was very frustrating so my my I didn't mean for my blog post to get so in the weeds but I was like I just have to like really point out what they're doing in these studies because this is how information I think gets I don't know. It gets put out there with an agenda and then people don't get the full story. So I'll be curious to see what listeners think about it. Two other really quick things. The concept of like harder to lose the weight the second time around with the baby weight. Definitely check out my interview with Joel Green, who wrote The Immunity Code, I think is his book. And he's the one I've talked about in the show before. He's the one that talks about why it's actually harder every time you lose weight to lose weight again. And his theory, which he supports with scientific data, is that every time you lose and gain weight, it affects the the structure of fat cells, which is called the extracellular matrix, ECM. So it's basically like wearing clothes. Oh, this is a good analogy because Jen, you were talking about your clothes. Sort of like if your fat cell has clothes. And you, every time you gain weight, you have to like make the clothes bigger. And then basically how easy it is to shrink back down that ECM versus just, it's easier just to keep it filled rather than taking in your clothes. Like your body would rather just keep the weight rather than go in and like fix that extra cellular matrix, like go in and like basically alter your clothes is like a very energy heavy process that the body does not really like to do. And every time it has to do it, it gets stiffer and stiffer. He calls it like the stiffening of the ECM. So it's a really cool explanation for why gaining weight and losing and gaining weight and losing gets harder and harder every time. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, my body was like, all right, we're just going to stick around right here. (laughs) And I didn't, I don't even think I really hardly even tried after Cal, my body just like bounced right back. But 
<sighs> a second time, there was no bouncing. I mean, I didn't bounce all the way back down to 123. So, you know, I did not. But I bounced back down to what was a good weight for me. I, I also wasn't really like as much in, like back in that time, I just didn't stress about it as much. I don't know. It got harder and harder over time. And then that number became more and more important. Yeah. Another thing, and I need to finish reading the book because I haven't, I'm so excited because I just started reading it. Oh, this book is like a cliffhanger. I'm going to interview, have you heard of Rick Johnson? Jin? I'm not sure. He wrote a book called The Fat Switch. He's like probably the authority on fructose. Probably. He's like, he's probably done the most research on fructose. You know, I might have read that a long time ago. I feel like I might have. Did that book come out in maybe 2016? Was it around then? It was a while ago. I remember reading a book about fructose a long time ago, maybe 2015. It came out in 2013. That sounds like right about when I might have been reading it. 2012. They talk about animals that eat a lot of fructose. Probably. I'm reading his new book. The cover of it is like is two silhouettes of um a woman. The fat switch. So I'm gonna look it up on Amazon and then I'll know. Because it will tell me because Amazon knows everything I've ever bought. But that doesn't mean I saw it on Amazon or read it on Amazon. I didn't buy the audiobook. I didn't buy the hardcover. Up oh. <laughs> Melody, this is hilarious. I purchased it on April 18th, 2016. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is so funny. Yep, I was, I was, I knew when I read it. I remember. So funny. You know what? It was after I had read, it was, okay, this puts it all in perfect perspective. It was right after I had read The Obesity Code because The Obesity Code came out in March of 2016. So I was going down that rabbit hole at that time. That was what I was learning about. So funny. I'm so excited because he's been on Peter Tia's podcast a lot and Peter literally calls him the number one fructose authority. So I'd had the fat switch like in my lineup to read. And then his people (laughs) came to me for his new book, which is called Nature Wants Us to Be Fat. It's not out yet. The subtitle is The Surprising Science Behind Why We Gain Weight and How We Can Prevent and Reverse It. And I was so excited. I was like, oh my goodness, because I've been dying to interview him. So I am interviewing him in a little bit over a month, I think. According to my Kindle, I'm 21% of the way through his book. But he is making the argument thus far. I don't know how it's going to materialize for the rest of the book. But he's making the argument. He calls it the survival switch, which is, I said there was a keyword in that question that reminded me of something. He talks about how metabolic syndrome seems like we've switched on this survival switch, which is basically what animals do when they go into hibernation and or migration. So their body becomes very insulin resistant. They get abdominal obesity. They store fat. They get high triglycerides. And so, yeah, he's making the case that basically it's like our body's hibernating. That's exactly. I remember he talked a lot about animals in that book that I read. Because remember, that was what I thought I remembered. Something about how the animals like really, really, when they're trying to gain the weight, they eat a lot of fruit or something. That's that's what I think I remember from the, the book. <laughs> I remember that. I had a friend that was struggling and she was eating a lot of fruit. I think that's one of the reasons I might have read it. I'm like, you got to read this book. I remember that. I'm like, I know you're eating a lot of fruit. Read this book. <laughs> <laughs> he is not a fan. Well, I'm obsessed with it because context dependent. I mean, I eat a super high fruit diet. So I'm really excited. I, mean, I have so many questions for him. I have a theory that it has to do with maybe your liver health. Like if your liver is super unhealthy, maybe a high fructose diet might be more fat promoting than if you've got a really healthy liver. I think so as well. I think the context is so important. Like I think fructose in the context of a high fat diet is probably pretty problematic. But in the context, like what I do, which is high protein, high fruit, low fat, I I really want to talk to him about that. Oh, but he talked about the hummingbird. This is what I read last night. Did you know, and you might have talked about this in the first book. Did you know that the hummingbird every day eats like four times its amount of its body weight in nectar and it gains so much fat and it gets a fatty liver by the end of the day and it's basically diabetic by the end of the day, and then overnight it like burns it all off. 
and then it's like back to normal. I do think I remember reading that the hummingbird had the highest metabolic rate, right? Like as a really high metabolic rate. Yeah. Like the equivalent though, I think he said like it's, it's blood sugar at the end of the day is the equivalent of like 700 for us. And then it burns it all off because it's like so, its metabolism is so fast. And then it wakes up like lean and not diabetic. And then it gains the weight all again. Isn't that crazy? I'm really enjoying this book. <laughs> so yeah, I'm really curious to see what he says about humans being in this survival state, this like hibernation mode. And I want to ask him though, if hibernating animals have high blood pressure, because that's one of the other things about metabolic syndrome. So that was a tangent. Shall we go on to the next question? We have a question from Tyler, and the subject is fasting headaches. And Tyler says, hello, Melanie and Jen. I have been intermittent fasting for about eight months now using the 16-8 method. I have lost roughly 25 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting. I have an issue, though, but I don't know if it has to do with fasting or not. I have tension headaches almost every single day. They started sometime around when I started fasting. They do not go away when I break my fast. Could this possibly have anything to do with fasting? I have been to plenty of doctor appointments with no results in figuring it out. Thank you. All right, Tyler, thank you so much for your question. So headaches, yeah, it was so interesting because like I mentioned, I was getting a headache with COVID and I used to get headaches growing up. Like they were just normal, like to get headaches. And now I never get headaches um, unless something's up, like like my current situation. Same thing, I never do unless it's something. And did you used to get them? Like- you know, I used to get them more hormonally. Like I would get monthly headaches at some point. I don't know. And I would get them every now and then. I haven't really. I remember them more in my late teens, very early 20s than than later. It's just so interesting because I just remember growing up, you know, it's like, oh, if you get a headache, take an Advil. Like I never really thought about it. It just like was a thing. And I didn't question like, why am I getting a headache? <laughs> you know? So it just seemed like a thing that happens. I did notice even at my late teens that it was awful and hormonal for me. Like I made that connection. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So headaches, there are a lot of potential causes for headaches. And especially if you've been getting them, Tyler, you've probably been going down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out all the causes. If it is related to fasting, the thing I think that it could be for anybody in general would possibly be electrolytes. So I never experienced issues with headaches and electrolytes and fasting, but especially since we've been partnering with Element, they make electrolyte supplements that are completely free of problematic additives. They're developed in part by Rob Wolf. They have an unflavored one that is fasting friendly. You could take it during your fast. I have seen so many people say that their headaches were gone when they started using electrolytes. So there could be other things related to fasting that could, you know, cause that. But I think if it was something related to the fasting, that it might be that. So that might be something to try. You can get a free sampler pack at drinklmnt.com forward slash IF podcast if you want to try that out. If it's not that, I'm sorry, I don't know what it is, but there are a lot of things you could definitely look at. It could be related to what you're eating, could be food sensitivities. I doubt it, but that could be a way that'd be related to fasting and that maybe if it was something that you're eating, that's a problem. Maybe having more of it in a concentrated form in a shorter eating window could be causing an issue. Whereas before you didn't really notice because it was spread out. I don't think that's what's going on, but that could be. Other things that you could look at just in general, blue light exposure. So a lot of people find that using blue light blocking glasses, especially if they're staring at computer screens all day, can really help with their headaches. Trying to think what else. Do you have suggestions, Jen? I have two ideas here. I would experiment to see with your fasting. Like I might would take, if if you feel like it's related to fasting, I might would say, you know what? I'm going to not fast for this week. And I want to see if my headaches go away. And if the headaches go away, then you can say, all right, it is definitely something to do with the fasting. Because there are some things that can cause headaches that are related to fasting. One would be something about about your blood sugar response. There are certain people who get headaches after 
opening their eating window. Like you can, you know, find articles about that, you know, like, like eating related headaches. That that's the thing that I've seen. I wouldn't know this if I hadn't been in, in those, you know, communities for so long where people have all the problems and we talk about them. But here is a thing that does happen. And the fact that Tyler said tension headaches made me go ding, ding, ding. If you, if you feel like they're tension headaches, you can actually get tension headaches if you're doing any kind of jaw clenching. I have heard through the community, this is not something that you hear all the time, but sometimes ketosis can make people clench their jaw. And, you know, we've seen that it, it you know, if you Google it, you can find that something they talk about in the keto community you know, jaw clenching and being in ketosis. So that is something that could be happening. If you feel like you're clenching your jaw when you're in ketosis, then perhaps that's causing your headaches. But again, I would experiment to see if it had to do with fasting by taking a few days off to a week and see if your headaches go away. And again, that could still be, it might be ketosis. It might be what you're eating. Experiment with what you're eating. Like if you have your blood sugar doing some wacky things, that could be related to the headaches, but you're just going to have to experiment and see. Have you ever heard that before about clenching your jaw with ketosis? I haven't, but I was thinking about it and that completely makes sense because we know that with fasting or keto that it can upregulate stress hormones in general. So I can see how it would have that effect. I actually do that. And 16-8 is a pretty gentle fasting approach. So I actually... I only mention that just because it's a possibility. If I were doing 16-8, I would not be getting deep enough into ketosis to have any jaw clenching. But it's just, it's something to keep in mind because it could definitely happen in an eight-hour window if you eat lightly and have a lot of activity. Yeah. I wonder how much it has to be ketosis or just, you know, the stress hormone upregulation potential from fasting. Well, it's it's something you hear in the in the keto community, more so than the fasting community, which is why I believe it's linked to ketosis, because not everyone in the keto community is, of course, fasting. True. That's been a lifelong, not lifelong, it's been a since 2012 long struggle for me, like TMJ and jaw clenching. And Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Ever since I had my wisdom teeth out. And when did you start fasting? 2010. Well, I wonder if there's a connection with ketosis and jaw clenching. I don't think so, because it started from when I had my wisdom teeth out. I'd been fasting for two years already and didn't have any issues. And then I had my wisdom teeth out and then it just... (laughs) And, you know, not everybody who clenches their jaw has this problem. My grandmother had a real problem with clenching her teeth and grinding her teeth and she didn't fast. So TMJ definitely could be unrelated to fasting. That's why I recommended that Tyler experiment with taking a week off of fasting and seeing that would really kind of make it clear. If like the headaches completely go away, then okay, there's something going on related to the fasting. And also try the um, the electrolytes as well, because I've just seen that help so many people. So anything else? I think that's it. Okie dokie. I think we have time to answer one more question. I think so. So quick question from Jane. The subject is need food with meds. And Jane says, hi, ladies. My sisters and I are interested in an IF challenge, but I take meds first thing in the morning with a banana in order to not get nauseous. There is no way I can't do that. How much will that screw me up if I'm going to attempt the 16-8, which is 8 p.m. to noon fast, noon to 8 eat? Is there something better than a banana I could eat? Well, thank you, Jane. And the answer is 100% yes. <laughs> I would not choose a banana. But let me tell you this. <laughs> I want you to first explore the idea of having to take your meds first thing in the morning. I am not a doctor or a pharmacist, but I recommend probably the pharmacist is who I would talk to about this because they are the ones who are trained even more so than possibly your doctor, probably more so than your doctor. They're the ones trained in what meds need to be taken when. So just because you've been told to take it first thing in the morning, that doesn't mean that you absolutely have to take it first thing in the morning. So that's why, I mean, I wouldn't change it up yourself without talking to your pharmacist, but I 100% for every person that's taking medicine would recommend that you talk to your pharmacist about timing it because of your fasting. 
In this day and age, with how many people are doing intermittent fasting and what we know about the benefits, I would think that every pharmacist would be able to tell you, you know, how best to take your medicine structured around your your fast. Because there are some medications that you 100% don't want to take and then fast for a while because it could have negative effects on like your blood sugar, for example. So you really want to say, okay, I'm doing intermittent fasting or I'm about to start intermittent fasting. I would prefer to not have to eat with this medicine, you know, and because obviously eating breaks the fast. So can you help me time my medication to go with the fasting approach I'd like to? And and you might be surprised. I might say, oh, yeah, there's no reason you can't just take your medicine with your first meal at noon. That might be absolutely fine. So just because it's always been first thing in the morning doesn't mean it has to be first thing in the morning. So have that conversation. Now, if you do have to eat, yes, it does break a fast, but I would choose something that's going to have a smaller insulin response, like something like higher fat. You definitely don't want to have like something high carb, but something that's going to be more of a blip to go along with it. But personally, I would not do well having to have a little bit of anything because once I have something to eat, even if it's high fat, even if it's just a little bit, then I would be struggling. It would be harder for me to fast. But people do, you know, like maybe a, like a tablespoonful of heavy cream or something, you know, to help the medicine not, you know, affect your stomach in a negative way. Or Jason Fung suggested in in his books, you know, like a, a small amount of leafy greens you know, they're going to have less of a of an effect. But you really might not need to take it at that time, even though you've always taken it at that time. I thought that was great. It reminded me of, I was just listening to David Sinclair on Huberman. Oh my God, that's so funny. No, because yesterday when I was at brunch, we went when I was with my sister right in the car, we went and met a bunch of relatives in Clemson, South Carolina. And the waiter was... I don't know how he got on the subject of intermittent fasting, but he just said he had listened to Sinclair on the Huberman podcast. I swear everybody has listened to that episode. The waiter had listened to it. So I pointed him to your biohacking podcast because I, I I thought he would like yours a lot. He was interested in some of the same kind of things that you're interested in. He's young, a young waiter guy. And I was like, you got to find Melanie. But he's interested in fasting. So I said, first go to intermittent fasting podcast because I was like, you should listen to David Sinclair for Melanie's podcast too. You know, because he was asking me about that. What's that NAD thing? NAD. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I don't know much about it. But he was asking me about that. I'm like, all right, you got to go somewhere else to hear that information. <laughs> but I said, look for Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Find Melanie, because it's really easy to remember Intermittent Fasting Podcast, but harder to remember the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. But he can find you from finding us. So anyway, so funny. That's so funny. Really quick story about that. Well, I'm, I'm friends with Dave Sinclair's agent, who is also Andrew Huberman's agent. And Andy Huberman has, I mean, his podcast is one of the top podcasts on like podcasts. <laughs> and um, he was on Rogan and all of this stuff. And like before any of that, I remember his agent was like, you got to have on this guy. Like he's going to be huge. And it was him. And, and, we never like locked it down and I, and I forgot about it because like he didn't have a book. So he wasn't like on my radar. And now I'm like, oh, I really should have like, <laughs> I really should have locked that down. Because now I reached out sort of recently to his agent and I was like, can he please come on? And he's like, oh, well, now he's like completely booked up because he has his show. Missed out on that one. Oh, so David Sinclair went on his show and um, talked about how he takes his, yeah, NMN and maybe some other things that he has to take with a fat. And so he does daily intermittent fasting, but he does take some supplements. He used to take it with yogurt, like a little bit of yogurt every morning. That's what I think he said when I interviewed him. But now apparently he does it with olive oil. So he talks about it in that episode. He said he does like a little bit of olive oil with like he said it tastes like an Italian salad dressing. <laughs> That's what he does because the supplements that he takes actually requires fat with them. And he said he doesn't, this would not be in line with what we talk about with the clean fast, but he said he doesn't really consider it breaking his fast, being just pure fat and not changing any of the signaling there. So I'm not saying that you can have fat and that doesn't break your fast, but I'm saying if you do have to have, take a little bit of medication with something, maybe something to try would be like, 
if you are able to take it with just like a little bit of olive oil or something like that. And also be aware that if you take oil on an empty stomach, it can have a laxative effect, especially MCT oil. (laughs) Ask me how I know. Anyway, yes. Good times. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. These show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 249. You can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. Jen is Jen Stevens. I am Melanie Avalon. We'll put links in the show notes to Cleanish. Again, congratulations, Jen. Thank you. And yeah, so this has been absolutely wonderful. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? Nope, I don't think so. All right. Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. Theme music by Leland Cox. See you next week.